So we're uh, we're lucky to have a guest today um, that was willing to come in here, uh, a friend of the podcast, um, and talk about um, his experience with uh, parental alienation and uh, how that affected um, his adolescence uh, in life and, and how it uh, actually caused him to uh, actually thrive uh, now in his, his later teen years. Um, parental alienation, again, is, is, is child abuse. Um, it, it's an important topic that Dana and I, and, and at that time, Christy Miller, who was our guest, on um, had a discussion uh, a few weeks ago and, and talked about the, the signs, the, the symptoms, and uh, the after effect of, of living with a uh, parent or parents um, that uh, practice uh, parental alienation. So uh, Patrick is a, a very well-spoken young man. Um, he speaks eloquently about his experience. Um, he's very transparent, he's very vulnerable, and he's very raw about it. Um, Dana, what are some of the, the things that uh, the listeners should get out of this episode? Well, first of all, I really appreciate how brave Patrick is. He reached out to me after he listened to our podcast about parent alienation. He said, I really want to help my peers. I really want to help people that have gone through what I've gone through. And um, I think I'm the perfect person to talk about it. And uh, uh, after you and I interviewed him, I absolutely agree that um, he describes it incredibly eloquently. He's a very psychologically sophisticated person for being 19 years old. And I think that uh, he will be of great service to people his age and, and uh, of any age, really, but especially young people who might blame themselves for the problems that they experience in relationship to their parents under these circumstances. And again, I want to remind our listeners, this is a, a very uh, uh, sensitive subject, probably not one to be listened to in, in front of children or, or in a public venue. Um, there's not a lot of anonymity in here. And, and again, there's some very raw detail, in, including some suicidal um, issues and, and, and things like that. So, um, uh, again, like Dana said, Patrick is very eloquent and, and very psychologically sophisticated. So um, I hope you enjoy our conversation with Patrick Woods. There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now, here are your hosts, Kim Foskey and Dr. Dana Saperstein. A couple of weeks ago, we released an episode on uh, parental alienation. Um, and uh, we had a friend of the podcast uh, reach out to us, uh, Patrick Woods, um, and talk to us about uh, coming on uh, to our podcast and actually speak about uh, being a victim of parental alienation. So uh, we wholeheartedly uh, agreed to have Patrick on. And uh, so, Patrick, uh, welcome to the Fear Me Out podcast. Glad to be here. Should be fun. 
You know, Patrick, I just want to tell you how proud I am of you for stepping up and uh, being willing, especially uh, Patrick's 19 years old, being willing to talk about your life and how this issue has affected you because it takes a lot of courage, especially for someone your age, to step forward and, and want to help your peers. Yeah, um, I definitely do find that most of the people that I talk to that deal with this are significantly older than me, and I do feel like that's kind of a good thing that I'm dealing with it now. But yeah, I feel like there are definitely other kids that go through what I go through at this age, and then they don't deal with it until they're in their 40s. And then they don't know why they were the way that they were. So if I can sort of shine a light on that and help a few kids, that'd be great. Would you mind starting at the beginning uh, of, uh, you know, your parents' separation and all and how it affected you and move forward from there? Yeah, I do want to say one one thing before Patrick gets started is in, in, in our pre-conversation, Patrick brought up something I think is very important, is when he listened to this episode, and, and again, the episode was we had Christy Miller, who's a, another therapist, on that we used a bunch of clinical terms and and talked about parental alienation from a clinical standpoint. And so Patrick's going to talk about um, from a victimization standpoint. And and I think he brought up a good point: is if his friends or peers had actually listened to the podcast, they may not have understood or took in the gravity of, of what actually happened. So I think that's why it's important that, that Patrick's here, um, that somebody listening has gone through this and probably can resonate with this story. So with that being said, Patrick, you're um, on. So I think the, f I mean, I think it really always starts with some form of a really traumatic parental thing. Mine happened to be divorce. Um, and my parents' divorce wasn't a pretty divorce. Um, and being the oldest, I remember the most of it. So I remember quite a few nights, like, being up, up against my door. So how, how old were you when this happened? I had to have been five years old. Okay. Um, remembering, like, the first fights and just seeing, like, my mom cry and just not really understanding. Being a kid, like, you sort of expect your parents to love each other. So seeing them fight like that is super confusing. Um, and you feel at times like it could be your fault, like you aren't a good enough kid. I had that thought out of my head by the time I was seven. But um, then after that, you sort of start to pit your parents against each other in the sense of like, okay, well, now I've got my dad's house and I've got my mom's house. And at the time, I didn't necessarily see them as equal in their parenting styles, but I still loved them equally. And I still sort of felt loved equally from them. Now, at the time, I didn't necessarily know what love was um, or what it felt like to be loved because as a seven-year-old, if someone gives you a Nerf gun, you think they love you. Um, so my dad would give me plenty of gifts. He'd take me tons of places like golf and stuff, Disney World, stuff like that. Um, and that was enough at the time to feel loved. Um, and, and you had your mom and dad had joint custody of you and your siblings at yes, that point? Yes, we okay. were going week to week. Um, okay. And that actually became a argumentative topic between me and my dad because I was tired of going week to week where you get into a flow with one parenting style and then you've got to jump and go to the complete other style. What were the differences um, that you noticed that were difficult for you? So the biggest one was probably going from being a very tight-knit close family at my mom's house where I had my brother, my sister, and both of my stepbrothers and then my mom and now dad um, all together. And like, we do a family dinner, we'd watch a movie or something. And then, yeah, you could go do your own thing. 
at my dad's house, it was very much like I was just left on my own. Like there, I remember times where I was probably anywhere from 12 to 14 being left for days and on end without seeing anyone and just being sort of left to the kitchen and video games. Um, and that is definitely where it started to affect me, where you're at a house where you're supposed to be feeling like you're being taken care of, but then at that age, you're taking care of yourself. Um, and that's where you're like, what's wrong with myself? Like, why isn't my dad caring about me? So w- w- was your dad actually at home, but not at home? Or did he actually just leave you on your own? There would be both, actually. There would be times where he would go on business trips at times. And I like there would just be no one there other than a nanny for a few days. Or, yeah, he would be there at the house, but like he wasn't presently there. My mom brought this up a few times where you could feel super alone with him in the same room with him. Um, and that was definitely the case. Um, mm-hmm. So I definitely relied on video games to sort of take my mind off of stuff and make connections with other people so that I wouldn't feel as lonely. And, and what's the age difference between you and your siblings? You said you were the oldest. So my sister is currently a junior at DP. Um, she is 16. And then my youngest brother is a freshman at DP and he is 14. Okay. Um, so there's a few year spread between yeah. the and two it's, of you. It's Three funny. Years. It's freshman year seems to be about the year where you're like, oh, something wrong with my dad. It's what I like. That's around the year that I discovered it. And then I got over it around sophomore year. That's around when I moved out. And then my sister started getting depressed around soft or freshman year. And she figured out that our dad was messed up. She left sophomore year. Now my brother, who's a freshman is starting to go through a lot of really difficult challenges and problems like in school. And he doesn't necessarily know why. Um, So we're trying to sort of help him understand, but he's still at the age where he needs to sort of come to that conclusion. It's an interesting time in a, in a boy or girl's life, right? Because it's, it's a transition time, you know, going to to high school, puberty Mm -hmm. has either, is either just hit or is about to hit. And so, you know, just trying to find your way in life without parental issues is still difficult on its own. Yeah. So Patrick, um, you said that uh, maybe 13 or 14 was when you started to really think about things in a different way. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it was around that age, yeah. And what is it that you started to understand um, and start to feel at that point? At that point, you, I think puberty definitely starts to take effect. And in that sense, I like to bring up that you start to feel like a more romantic connection to someone other than your parents and your siblings. So then you start to understand what it's like to love someone else other than like family and then what it's like to be loved from someone other than family. So then you can sort of compare those. And around that time, I I was having crushes on girls and girls had crushes on me. So I knew what that was like. And I could sort of compare that to my dad, but the feelings were nowhere as powerful. Whereas I could compare that with like my mom and the feelings were as powerful, but obviously there was like a loving family relationship versus like a romantic one. Whereas I felt like there really wasn't even a loving family relationship with my dad compared to like a crush that I had on a girl, which around that time really confused me. So what is it that you did feel in relationship to your dad? I felt almost like a puppet in his eyes. Um, 
like in a sort of sense that I was in his eyes, I was a miniature him or like a little him. Um, so that if I ever made a mistake, it was really like, I felt like he saw it as a mistake on himself and like, he wouldn't talk to me for days. That was one of his things was, um, like what kind of mistake are we talking about? Like, let's say like, let's say a mistake that like you would typically ground your kid for, for like a week, you know, like you take his Xbox, maybe his phone, you're mad at him, but like that doesn't stop you from giving him a hug at the end of the day. He just wouldn't talk to me and he'd ignore me. I'd still have my Xbox, I'd still have my phone, but he'd just ignore me. So you got iced out. I did. Okay. And that is obviously a much, much more devastating tactic for a 13-year-old. Right. So as, as a 13-year-old, did you assume that you deserved it and that, um, that you were the extent, problem? To an extent, yes. I, I felt like I obviously had done something to deserve it, but I felt like that was it was definitely messed up. Okay, so you did have an awareness, but you weren't... 100% yeah, sure about like, that. In a sense, I had sort of become used to it, so oh, I sort okay. of felt that it was normal. Now, if I had, like, talked to a friend, like, does your dad not talk to you for a few days if you mess up? They probably would have looked at me like I was a little crazy and would have been like, oh, that's a good thing to know. Right. Well, I remember once uh, you mentioned to me that you were playing soccer and you scored a really good yes. goal, and you came expecting your dad to be really proud of you and really happy with your... Uh, accomplishment and what happened he critiqued me on how i could have scored the goal better um <laughs> which i'm sorry to laugh but that's yeah that's nuts no i, I mean i <laughs> laugh at it now um I, i'm sure you didn't laugh at it at the time no at the time no i i was i was really hurt and i was really confused i was like i just like did what the epitome of soccer is trying to do is score a goal and i didn't right. do it well enough like so yeah, there were there were plenty of times like that, especially in sports. Um, I definitely feel like that was a projection of my dad. My dad is not in good shape, as you know, um, and I feel like he wanted to play sports as a kid, but was a little on the unathletic side and clumsy. Um, so he really wanted me to be like his version of his athlete, um, which is why I think he pressured me so hard into playing sports all the time. And what was his relationship like with your mom um, in your eyes? And how did he talk to you about it or not talk to you like about it? Like pre-divorce or post? Uh, after they got divorced. Um, so after they got divorced, um, my dad very much saw my mom as an enemy in a sense. Um, he saw her trying to control me and my siblings and put us up against him. So his idea was that she was alienating you guys from yes. him. Yes. Okay. Um, and that... And How did do, he express that to you? Do you remember? I remember him telling me that, like, the therapist... I was going to... Uh, a therapist named Beth. I'm, I don't remember her last name. Um, but I remember my dad telling me that, like, my mom taking me to see her was, like trying to like convince me that he was the bad guy um and it was sort of just these like mental hoops that we he would have you jump through to like make you see that it was the world against him okay so he really truly believed yeah. that uh that he was being the victim in the situation yeah. and then when you're a kid and you know it's your dad you're very much like well if my dad's saying that like then he must be the victim Okay. Um, so how did you end up feeling when he um, 
presented himself in that way. I'd feel really confused and really hurt because my mom would also never do anything like that. Like she would very much say like, I had my personal relationship with your dad, but I don't know like what your relationship is like with him. And I'm not going to like stand in that or get in the way of that. Um, So she was in favor of you having whatever relationship with him that you wanted. Whatever I wanted to do, whether it was a weekend, a week, or just living at her house and um, which is what I do now. Um, she even was like, if you want to live at your dad's house, like go for it. If that's what you want to do, like do it. Um, were, were your siblings treated the same way as you from which parent from your father? At this point. No. Okay. So I was definitely treated as the golden child. Um, when I did make a mistake, I was definitely punished, but way less so than, um, my brother and sister would be. Um, I remember getting into somewhat of a like physical fight with my sister in the pool when I was probably 10 years old, making her like seven or eight. Um, and I remember she straight up kicked me in the balls and I like pushed her. And then like, I think I like kicked her underwater in the leg and we both like went to our dad and he made her apologize to me and I like got away scot-free. And I was like, I ended up apologizing to her like on my own and just saying like, I shouldn't have done what I did. Like, I'm sorry. But like, he didn't make me do that. He only made my sister apologize to me. So he favored you, but also was quite critical of you when you made any sort of an error. Yes, very much so. So emotionally, how did you start to feel at that point? At that point, it, it it was sort of confusing because I didn't understand why he was treating me better. And then I'd go over to my mom's house in a few days and we were all equal there. So my brain was constantly going from like, we're all equal to then like being put on a pedestal and not knowing why. Being put on a pedestal, but also being abandoned at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's this really weird concept. It's really crazy. Yeah. I mean, how, how does one come to terms with that? I really didn't. So what happened? I, I became extremely depressed. I stopped going out. I really stopped talking to friends. Um, I ended up losing a lot of weight because I stopped eating a lot. Um, and at my dad's house, I was probably playing close to 72 hours worth of video games in a week. Whoa. Like 72 hours straight of like, if you were to just not get up, that was my total time in a week of playing video games. Did you feel any amount of pressure to please him? There was a sort of pressure in, but not to please him, more to not screw up. And it was... Stay off the radar. Yes. Because if you screwed up, there was the chance that then he was going to get mad at you. It wasn't like if I did good, then he wouldn't necessarily praise me. If anything, he had more to critique me on. So if I could just sort of stay under the radar, then nothing ever got brought up. And how bad did the depression get? The depression got really bad at one point. I ended up getting suicidal. Um, And you're in high school at this point? Yes. Um, I was probably in my sophomore year of high school when I, like, first, like, had suicidal thoughts. Um, And that really, that really, like, sucks to think back on. Like, no kid should have to go through that, especially when it's, you know, problems that originate with their parents. Um, especially really just one parent. Um, so when you went to your mom's, the suicidal feelings would go away or no? They would almost get hidden, but they wouldn't go away. Oh, okay. Okay. 
So can you describe, when you talk about feeling depressed, having suicidal thoughts, can you kind of describe what you're actually feeling and thinking at that time? So at that time, I'll do my best. Um, So you feel very alone. Um, Like you could have friends texting you and, you know, asking you things and stuff, but you still feel very alone. You feel like everything isn't genuine. Um, And you don't want to talk about your problems anyway. So if people ask you if you're doing okay, you still give them the, yeah, I'm fine, just tired. Um, And that also further puts you into this feeling of more alone because then you're not talking to the people that care about you. Um, Did anybody know that you were having suicidal thoughts? None of my close friends. I did eventually end up telling my parents after a little while. Um, Your parents being? My mom and stepdad. Um, I don't think my dad ever really knew until a while after. Um, I think it was really after the fact that I had to go to child court when I wanted to leave his house that that got brought up to him think but I'm not 100% sure and, and so how long had that that period of depression gone on for you was that a six, was, six months a year it was a probably years? a year to two years okay Boy, that's a long time as a yeah. young person and you what sucks is that because you're so young and that's such a two years when you're 16 is such a big portion of your life like that's an eighth of your life um that that becomes somewhat not reasonable, but livable because that's what you've been doing. So that sort of becomes comfortable in a sense. So it just seems normal, normal almost. Yeah. Did, did you, and I know Dana asked you this, this question, but was there anybody, and I'm talking from your friend circle that you could confide in that offered you some level of support or some level of understanding? Somewhat. So you can talk to people, but what's tough is that if you don't have a friend that has gone somewhat through what you've they gone don't through, understand it fully. They can't understand it's, I mean, even trying to talk to a friend, if you're just going through, you know, a divorce, trying to talk to a friend whose parents aren't, like, it's tough for them to even understand. So trying to talk to a friend, like, why doesn't my dad love me? That that, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And coming from, I'm a depressed person as well. So everything that you experienced, even in your adolescence, as an adult depressed person, you feel exactly the same way. Um, so you told your mom and your stepdad, how far into being suicidal did you tell them? Um, I got pretty into depth. Um, I, I don't think I ever, I think I told them like the three times that I was closest. I told them about that, but I didn't tell them like the extent to which I was like thinking about it. Um, did you feel like you needed to protect them? Very much so. Yeah. And why did that feel so important to you? Because those were the people that actually loved me. Okay. So those were the people that I felt like I needed to protect because they were the people that actually did love me. Were you afraid they'd be disappointed in you or? or Somewhat. It was more the fact that I didn't want to have to see or deal with their reaction. Oh, okay. Um, I want to explain to everybody if it's okay that, uh, Patrick is an extremely sensitive person by nature, very much of an empath. And part of what happens when you're a really empathic person is that you believe that you're in charge of managing everybody's pain around you. So what you're describing right now makes a great deal of sense based on just the fact that you're a very empathetic, uh, sensitive person. 
And so naturally what you want to do is protect the people that you love from your pain because you've been spending your whole life doing that anyway. I mean, even trying to protect them from their own pain is something that I've been trying to deal with recently is just not take on other people's problems. Right. So when you talked about having suicidal thoughts, how close did you actually get? I mean, did you actually have a plan? There were two times where I was sitting in a bathtub holding a knife. Okay. So it got um, that you got that extreme. Yeah. That wow. was and then like it was like catching a glimpse of myself like in the reflection and I was just like, all right, I need to like stop. So you were able, obviously. Yeah. Um and so eventually uh I mean, how did it end up happening that your your um mom and stepdad kind of uh, uh did everything they could <sighs> to start to protect I, you? I ended up I don't actually remember the exact situation, but I remember getting into trouble for something with my parents. And I remember like them wondering why I did what I did. And I remember just breaking down in front of them. Uh Um, And they didn't really know it was happening and I didn't want to talk to them. So I got up and left the room and I grabbed a notebook and I think I just wrote for like a few pages of just what was going on and what I was going through and then I came back into the room and handed it to them and they read it and they gave me like giant hugs and we talked about it for hours probably. Um, and what were the, what were, what they tried to do to help you? They, I mean, immediately they introduced me to you. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> that was the first one. The second one was they immediately started getting more involved in myself because oh. I was definitely trying to space myself out from them and so that they couldn't necessarily figure out that I was hurting. And and, and again, I want to, for clarification purposes, this is your mom and stepdad you're talking about as the parental unit right now. It's so tough. I've called my stepdad, my dad for so long now, because that's how I see him. And now legally he is my dad. Okay. So can you explain that? So month ago, um, I had my stepdad, Bradley, um, legally adopt me. Um, So he is now my legal guardian, but not, blood related so right t- i uh, from now on i will refer to my biological father's mike that's his name so l- let me ask you a question here and it may be difficult for you to, to talk about this but d- does does your biological father at that point have to terminate his parental rights to you for that to happen he does not because i was a legal adult oh you're, if, if okay. i were if i were 16 then yes you okay would. okay and, and so did you have a conversation about this with your biological dad? I didn't, no. Um, I didn't necessarily want to, and I sort of, in the last year, I've definitely put a lot of my problems about him behind me. Um, so it was sort of something that I feel like he didn't necessarily deserve to know. Um, I did have to put an ad in the newspaper, so he probably saw it there. And then I do remember hearing that my step-siblings mom had talked to my dad about that or Mike about that that you had uh, had been adopted but okay. I remember I watched my um, brother play a football game at DP recently and Mike was there and I walked right past him and didn't say anything to me so he just ignored you completely yeah. so, so when, when was the last time you've actually had a conversation or had contact with your biological father so it, it just eroded over time to the point yeah. where you've just not had any contact with him. It just, it it's, it's to the point where I know he's not good for me. Um, 
Was there an actual breaking point or a straw that broke the camel's back or an epiphany you had at some point that said, like you just had mentioned that he's not good for me. So at some point you came to that realization and, and Dana and I had these conversations before about when parents are abusive and determining whether you can actually have a relationship with that parent or not. Um, and I did talk to Dana about that when I was still sort of trying to decide whether or not I wanted a relationship with him. Um, and it was tough because I would get really mentally healthy and then I would go spend a few days over there and then I would come back and my parents would even see a difference in me just from like 48 hours at his house. Um, that was probably the first time where they brought that up to me and I like sort of took a look back at the week that had previously happened and was like, wow, I spent a lot more time just in my room at their house from like just spending a weekend at Mike's house. So what it wasn't a matter, just, just the inner physical energy of being in his house versus yes. some level of manipulation or abuse. There was definitely was a strong level of manipulation. Okay. That was continuing to occur. Yeah. Okay. Um, like my brother's, um, continuing to deal with this today. Like he, um, and they, your siblings still have the relationship, yeah, obviously, Brody, as minors. And Brody, my youngest sibling, is the only one that still has a, somewhat of a relationship with Mike. Um, he goes every other weekend over there. Okay. Um, but he texted Mike and said, like, hey, I, like, I've got a lot of homework to do. Like, I don't think it's going to be a good weekend for me to come over. And Mike was just like, no, that's not happening. Like, I'll be there to pick you up at three. And as, you know, a 13-year-old, you're like, uh, right. okay. And then, so he had to, like, my mom had to step in and, like, draft him a message and was like, here's what, like, if you're okay to send this, like, you need to stick up for yourself. Um, well, good for your mom. But yeah, but like, you shouldn't have to do that. No, like, you shouldn't have to. As a dad, to, you right. shouldn't be like, I'm picking you up. Like, Yeah, no, you don't have a say. Yeah, and that's very much what I felt like. Your life is very much at that house. It's very much under his control. So where did you then find the courage to slowly start to separate from your dad and spend less time there? I think the courage really comes from myself and then sort of seeing that the damage that it's causing to myself and that because that damage is caused to myself, the damage it causes to those around me. Okay. Which and is sort of tough to explain. But you did start to feel it pretty profoundly. Yes. And was your dad was your dad talking shit about your mom during that period of t uh, during those periods of time? Yeah. And how would he refer to her to you? It was never like a derogatory term, but it was just your mother. Oh, okay. And your mother what? Like your mother like isn't responding to me. Like I remember um, my dad saying that like your mother just uses me for my money. Um, like, that's the only reason that I have to pay her every week. Just, like, very, like, stuff like that where, like, you're, like, there could be reason behind that, but, like, what? What should that have to do with you? Anyway? Yeah. Like, why am I getting put in the middle of your relationship? Right. And that, looking back at it now, it was to try and separate me from my mom. Okay. So, you found the courage to slowly uh, spend less and less time. Mm hmm And then what? My mental health got a lot better. Um, and then 
I wanted to still try and keep a relationship with my dad. I didn't want to necessarily just give up on it completely. So I would try and do, I remember trying to go over there for like a week at a time during the summer and spend a week over there. And that went okay. Um, and then I spent probably a total of like three more weekends over there and sort of just decided that it wasn't going to work. And how did he respond to your um, absence? He claimed that like he really missed me. Um, but in a very much like, not an I miss you, but like more like missing an object. Can like you missing missing a thing. Like, So you didn't feel like a person to him? Yeah. Like I, it was very much like, oh, I'm missing having my car. Because when you were there, it felt more like an objectified connection yes. than you. And that was very much like sort of what he presented to me when he was trying to get me to come back over. And that was sort of my last straw, I think. So, okay. so your feeling was it was a veiled comment. It didn't really have any substance behind it. Yes. And that's sort of most of the things that he say sort of feel like that if you look into it. I, I, want, I want to circle back to something that, that you said about you were feeling better. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm mentally, I'm, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. And so how were you feeling better and what did you do to feel better mentally? I was only staying at my mom and dad's house. So I was in a much better environment to begin with. I was seeing a therapist regularly. Um, my parents were making sure that I wasn't spending long periods of time just isolated in my room. Um, and then I was also forcing myself to try and do something active every day, whether it was surfing, go to the gym, go for a run, whatever it was, just try and do something active. And all of those things seemed to help. And then when I would go back over to his house, I would fall out of that routine and thus my mental health would worsen. So it, it when you're with your mom and your stepdad, you were taking responsibility for your mental health. And they were sort of, helping me to keep myself in check. They were your accountability yes. and cheerleaders in, yeah. in doing that. Very much and so, so. And they that, still are. And then when you went to your dad's house, it just kind of fell off the, off the like map. He, yeah, it was very much just like, I'm going to keep parenting you like I did when you were here. So then it was like, okay, well. And, and he was aware at that point of your struggles. Yes. Okay. He should have been anyway. Uh, did you tell him or, or are you? He was, I mean, I had told him. Four, and then he got to read some notes that I had written to him during child court. Definitely should have known. And, and did, again, I hate to circle back, but for clarification, when you were sitting in the bathtub two times with a knife, mm -hmm. who who ultimately knew about that? Did, did both sets of parents know about that ever? I think my mom knew Okay. I don't think my dad did, but he did know that I was suicidal. Okay. I don't think he knew the extent to which, though. Okay. Because I, I think that's a, a, a big point because if, if a parent understands, even if it isn't as graphic as you just said, that your kid is suicidal, yeah, that should raise a multitude of red flags. And what's what took me a long time to get over was the fact that he still hasn't apologized for making me feel like that. I still have not gotten like a, I'm sorry, like it was like... Sorry you felt like that. Are you expecting that? Not anymore, no. I did for a long time, but not anymore. And why, why, why are you not expecting that anymore? I see him in a very different light. I, like, I very much see like he's not capable of giving me that. Um, 
And that's how I sort of have to look at it a lot of times is just that he's not capable of that. And um, that did take me a little while to understand is that people's brains like that simply function different. Um, you know, you're not the typical 19 year old yes. in, in how you think <laughs> you have a very advanced perspective uh, in, in terms of, of how you've learned to understand, you know, um, where your dad's coming from and, and how you're dealing with it. I mean, if you're, I didn't, you're, I don't you're, know if I'd be here. You're around the corner. You're getting around the corner already on this. That's the goal. Yeah. Um, well, and, and some of it, you know, comes down to your mom and your stepdad being emotionally sophisticated people. Oh yeah, all, for sure. So they know um, a lot about. Well, um, we all we don't heal by ourselves. Yeah. So they know a lot about their own psychology and are certainly advocates of, uh, you know, being present emotionally. Yeah, they definitely are, and they definitely help a lot. Yeah. But it, but you are an unusual person for nineteen. Kim's right about that for sure. <laughs> So how has it affected, I mean, you were talking earlier um, about, you know, having crushes on girls and, and vice versa. How has it affected your relationships um, that you've potentially or, or have had in your young life so far? So I'm still sort of battling this today is self-image and self-confidence. Um, that one just went like straight to the garbage. When, when you feel really depressed and you just feel like garbage then you're going to sort of see yourself like that. And yeah, then nothing else matters. Exactly. So then, you know, obviously you're not caring about your appearance. You're not really caring what others are thinking about you. Um, Cause you don't care what you think about yourself really. So then, you know, the first person that shows slight interest in you, you immediately sort of go after them because they showed interest in you. And that's so far and in between when you're deal feeling like that, that it's like, crack almost mm -hmm. so you you very much chase that are you talking about in in uh girlfriends that yes, sort of yeah, thing yeah, yeah but you're in a relationship now i am now and i am in a very happy relationship um so do you feel like it's of a different quality than the ones that uh you had before? i do yeah um the ones that i would have before i could like sort of point out red flags in them but then i'd very much ignore them in the hopes of a relationship um, just because having that connection with another person was more important than whether the relationship was going to be beneficial or toxic. Did you feel like you had to manage their pain also? Yes. I still, I still feel like that with some of my relationships and I'm trying to do a lot better at not doing that. And, and do you feel that you attracted those like people that you had this familiarity that you were used to? Whether it was to, to some extent. Yeah. Um, my parents do tell me that, um, I do attract people, not in a sense that I'm an attractive person, but like people just want to talk to me and become friends with me. Um, I can see that. So I, I do sort of understand where I'm like, that would make sense that I could attract someone that would need help, especially if my personality is I want to help. So it would definitely make sense. Yeah. So, so Patrick knows about the rescuer fantasy at, at his young age? I, I do, yes. Okay. Uh, it, it would be really wise to listen to the podcast on the rescue, rescue fantasy. You might see yourself a little bit in there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, again, Dana and I've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, but the, you know, that's the trap that us empaths and, and HSPs tend to fall into. Yeah. 
right? That we're the knight in shining armor that mm-hmm. w- wants to solve somebody's issue because, you know, that's empathy, right? Yeah, in that it way, becomes, so. I mean, it doesn't even become someone for me. It became like solving everyone's issues. Like right. I'd just start talking to someone at a party and they'd like give me a problem and I'd sit there for 30 minutes talking to them about it. I can't even tell you the guy's name, but I'm trying to <laughs> sit here fixing his problems. Um, I'm sorry to laugh. It's no, and that's laugh. that's just a regular occurrence for me is just like talking to people about their problems. I feel, um, I feel your pain on that one. Yeah, and the problem becomes trying not to take their pain on um, that yeah. I've been slowly getting better at. I was going to say, if you can figure that out at your slowly. age, then you and I should have a discussion because <laughs> yeah. I'm still trying to figure that out. It's tough. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I want to go back to your siblings, right? And, and again, they they have a different relationship with your biological father than you did. And, and you were kind of put on that pedestal and, mm-hmm. and manipulated and abused and, and so on and so forth. And you said that they're both having some level of issue now at, yes. at their age. And, and they still have the relationship with your biological father? Or? So my sister does not anymore. Okay. Um, she is also a highly sensitive person. Um, and she went and, down the and, same road that I went down. And, and are, does she understand that? That she's an HSP and an empath? So or? we did a little family group book club um, where we read Understanding the Highly Sensitive Person. Is that Elaine Aaron's book? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I think it's written about us, by the way. It, it is. Um, and my sister falls right under that category and she refuses to believe it. Um, she had a tough time reading that book. Um, but I mean, it really opened my eyes to a lot of things and helped me understand. Um, I'm having my girlfriend read it right now. Um, that would be helpful. Yeah. I mean, it will be my, um, my dad read it and he's not a highly sensitive person, but he's like, if it helps me form a better relationship and understanding with you guys, like I'm totally do it um so my sister very much went down the same road that I did um but my dad is also a little bit of a misogynist so my sister never really got the respect that I did she always sort of got treated like shit so she was able to understand I think a little bit quicker than I was that he was a shitty person. And I think that was mostly due to the fact that I still sort of saw him as my dad. But now the tough thing is that now that we're both gone, my brother is now on that pedestal. So he is, um, he currently is actually dealing with some school problems. He got, um, he's been, according to the Dean, he is like the sort of leader of the rowdy kids. Um, (laughs) Somebody has to be. Someone has to be. And he's very charismatic, so it didn't surprise me. But then he was in a group chat, I guess, with all of the engineering kids. Like him and three of his friends were using some very vulgar language and um, got called into the office and everything. And then a few bullying things got called into play. And Brody just broke down, not really knowing why he was doing these things. And they broke it down to him when he was at Mike's house. Like even though he was only there twice a month he was spending close to 40 hours with mike versus a single week at his mom and dad's house he was maybe seeing them five hours a week so you know 20 hours versus 40 like he's seeing him double the amount of time even though it's only in a weekend 
So, but in that time, he was getting treated like a king. Like he was eating out for every meal, or like um, Mike's wife Susan was making them a meal. They were going shopping every day. They were like doing some sort of fun thing. Like he was getting treated like he got the Disneyland dad experience. Did. Yes, very much so. And then you know his actions at school start to sort of show that like, oh, well, I'm like, I'm the shit. Like mm-hmm. I'm it. Like and then that sort of starts to show, but he doesn't know why yet. Um, and that's, what's going to be challenging for him for sure. And, um, he isn't a highly sensitive person, so there is a good chance that he would be able to maintain a relationship with my dad, as long as he can understand that my dad's broken. Mm -hmm. Do you talk much to your brother about this stuff? I do. yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to talk to him a lot more. Um, I didn't. A few years ago, just because he was still younger and wouldn't really understand it. But yeah, now that he's older, I've definitely started talking to him a lot more. Is he receptive to you? He is, yeah. Yeah. He he very much, I think, appreciates the conversations we have. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Good for both your sister and your brother to have an older sibling to to kind of, you know. Yeah, and I I know he really misses me since I'm moved out now, so. Yeah. I try and at least go into the house once a week, and but I've tried to text with him at least once every few days and just see how he's doing. So uh, what else that you haven't mentioned yet that you would like your peers to understand about the stuff that you've gone through and parenting alienation and all? You're not alone. That's probably the biggest one. Um, your friends do care about you, and that talking does help. That's probably the biggest one. I didn't talk for a very long time about any of my problems. And it feels easier at the time to do that just because then you're not bringing up any of the emotions and bringing up emotion is not fun pretty much ever. Um, So dealing with those hard to face facts that you've got to deal with isn't fun, but you've got to do it in order to heal yourself. And I think a lot of people would rather just keep it inside and let that slowly build until they just explode. Um, and exploding isn't a good thing to do. No, <laughs> or getting into trouble. Yes. So if, if a parent is listening to this podcast right now, um, from your standpoint, what are some of the warning signs that they should be looking for? Isolation is probably the biggest one. Um, Like, yeah, they could be eating dinner with you, but then if they're going straight back into their room, coming home from school and going into their room, or like they're essentially just living in their room, that's probably a pretty good sign that something's not right. Um, If they used to talk to you a lot about what was going on in their personal life and then that stops, that's typically a pretty good sign. Um, And then even like, My parents said that they could see it in my mood. Obviously, I thought I was doing a good job hiding it, but you could, you probably know your kid pretty well. So you could probably see that their mood is changing. Um, I don't think my outfits or anything really changed, but I do know that some people that go through depression tend to sort of change styles and they'll start wearing a lot like more loose fitting clothing. Um, and sort of just like, I don't really know how to, Put it, I guess, baggier clothing, just like not really taking as much care in your appearance. Sweatpants, hoodies, stuff like that, you know. Um, stuff you, you can hide in. Yes, very yeah. much so. Stuff that you feel invisible. comfortable in. Yeah. Um, 
I wasn't eating, but I do know that that can go either way. Some people use food as a comfort item and could just overindulge in food. Um, I really just never felt hungry, so I just kind of stopped eating. Um, was the video game playing an addiction to you, or was it just trying to treat a symptom? It was def. I think it was both. I mean, video games are addictive in a sense, but... When I was playing video games, I was playing with other people. Like I was, I actually have friends that live up in Washington that I've never met in real life, but I've known for five years now. Mm -hmm. Um, I still talk to those friends. I'm still in group chats with them. I still get birthday wishes from them. I still wish them happy birthday. Um, I've had FaceTime calls, but I've never met these people in real life. They were some of my closest friends through those times. And the only way that I could connect with them was hopping onto a video game. So they were gamers like you. Yes. Uh But you know, they're also a teenager. So like we can bond over stupid stuff that's happening. And it's a peer, it's a peer group. It is. Um, and it becomes a friend group. Um, and especially when you feel like you don't necessarily have anyone in real life to be able to escape to that and then feel like, okay, I have people here also. Then that also, I think sort of, solidifies the sort of um, addiction to video games if that's also where you're getting your like social health mm-hmm. from yeah I think I think having friends on that for sure would um, increase the addiction if that's where you're really only going for a sort of social output did you well, talk to any of them about the way you were feeling or was it I did actually they were actually some of my first friends to know oh um and that was sort of because I was like, they can't really tell anyone that I know, like, in person. Right. Um, but they were super supportive. They, like, did a really, like, they were super nice about it. They were super helping. Um, and I should have seen that as more like my friends here would do the same thing. Um, but you still feel like you don't want to talk about it. Like, it's still something you feel you need to hide. Because it's embarrassing? It's embarrassing, and it's also... I mean, it goes back to that feelings thing. You don't want to deal with feelings. And those are the feelings that are causing the most issue. So if you can sort of hide those from people, then they're never going to get brought up. And and probably not knowing how to deal with those feelings yeah. either, right? Uh, yeah. And that's also another thing is at that age, I had no idea what I was doing. So when those feelings would come up, they'd just come up and there was nowhere I could put them or deal with them. At what age did your... Um, stepfather, now father, come into your life? Seven, eight. It was pretty young. Okay, and was he an influential person in your life right away? Not right away, but pretty quick after him and my mom started dating. Okay. The reason I'm asking that question is, from my own experience, um, I was looking for different role models that were, that was different from my father. Mm-hmm. And so I was seeking out that from either friends of mine that I thought had a better relationship with their father, sports coaches that actually took an interest in me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that for me was extremely helpful that I knew that other people, other fathers, other older male role models actually existed out there that actually mm-hmm. saw me for who I wanted to be seen as mm-hmm. and took an interest in me. And, and so I 
continually sought that out. And so I was thinking about, you know, how, how positively you speak about your, your now father about that. And maybe it was a godsend that he came into your life and, and kind of probably a little bit changed the trajectory of the way that you could have gone with this. 100%. And, and we wouldn't be sitting here today having this conversation. I definitely think so. Um, he's definitely had a huge impact on my life. Um, I mean, one of the reasons I even started surfing was because of him. Um, and that is like what I base my entire personality off of now. Um, my mom has told me like, yeah, you definitely have pretty shit luck when it comes to the dad department, but God definitely blessed you when he came into your life. And that I think definitely does really make up for it. If somebody once told me you can't choose your parents. Yeah. Um, but he did, but, but he I did. No, he did. Well, um, he, he got a se- he got a second chance. At least four. I did get a pretty awesome second chance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, that's, what's I think a bit of a bummer for a lot of kids is that they don't get that second chance. Right. And obviously you have this close relationship with your, with your now father. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, obviously you wouldn't have gone through all what you had to go through to, to have him become legally your father. Mm-hmm. Do your, do your siblings have a similar relationship with him? My sister does for sure. Um, I'm not quite too sure with Brody. And I think that's, I think he definitely sees him as a dad, but I don't know if he would necessarily ever become adopted by Bradley. And I think that's more as of right now. I mean, and I could be totally wrong, but I think right now he's way too scared of Mike to ever do something like that. And I mean, at the time, if you told me about doing something like that, I would have thought you were crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in five years, who knows what he's doing. Um, but I think there's a high likelihood that my sister um, could do the same thing. She very much feels that um, Bradley is her dad. Um, I, th- I, I I had a card one day that I that I had written, and it was something along the lines of like, anyone can be a father, but it takes someone special to actually be a dad. Um, and that sort of resonated with me in the sense of my dad did a pretty piss poor job, and then I had someone else come into my life and actually be a dad to me. Um, and it completely changed my life. Um, so why was it important for you to be formally adopted by him? It wasn't necessarily important, I guess, in the sense of more it was like finally getting Mike out of my life. I guess it was more of like a symbolic thing for me. Um, I already saw him as my dad but I guess now it was now it's like it's on paper. Like, so it was like closing the door on that chapter of your yeah, life and opening so. the new one. Yeah. So when you think about your dad now, how do you feel? Do you are you are you resentful toward him? Do you feel like you've come to peace? And I feel like I've definitely come to a way more peace with it. Um, just looking at the whole situation, I just sort of feel sad. Okay. Um, and not necessarily like sad in the moment. I'm a little sad for what happened and I'm sad for him. So you pity him? Yeah. Well, because he's missing out on a really lovely young man. I don't necessarily see it that way, but I see it more in the sense that he's just missing out on a lot of really awesome aspects of life. Okay. 
So it doesn't, it, it, it's not even that person from, from a dad's perspective. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. From your perspective. Yeah. yeah. So, so he's remarried, you were saying, right? Yes. And do you have any relationship with his new wife at all? Or, or do you not it's want like to have whole, it either? It's a whole weird can of worms. He actually, well, let's married, go. We got eight more minutes. So he actually married my fifth grade teacher. Okay. Um, small town we live in. Yeah. Um, well, I had her for like two weeks and then I switched classes. But then in that amount of time, we were like going back and forth to try and get us ready for junior high. My sister actually had her for the entire year in sixth grade. And that's actually when my dad and her met. That's when they started dating also, which made that really awkward. Yeah, for that, my is sister. awkward. that is very awkward. <laughs> um, it's like fishing off the company peers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's actually how they ended up meeting. And then... I like sort of knew her and had a relationship with her, which then makes it a little weird too when I had like first met her because I'm like, you're like my teacher, but now like I can just call you by your first name. Yeah, it's always it's always weird for kids to yeah. see their teachers out in public. Oh, not, yeah. not let alone your your father being married to them. Yeah. It's or, like or really you, you, you're your, a real you're a real person? Or walking yeah. out of your father's bedroom. Oh yeah. Even worse. <laughs> that would be weird. Yeah, awkward for yeah. sure. Um, and it's, it's also really strange. We've all sort of brought up this, but, um, he very much married his mom. Um, if people, people listen to this podcast enough, they know how that happened. Yeah. So, um, he married Susan Wilson. Um, Susan's probably six foot, maybe six one. She's a tall lady. Um, Mike's mom six foot, um, both very athletic build. Both were elementary school teachers. Wow. And both idolized Mike. Wow. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. It's crazy. He hit the trifecta. He did. Like he married his mom. Wow. It's uh -huh. it, like a while. I like first pieced that together and I was just like, Oh wow. You're like really messed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. We, are you worried about the way that her kids are being? Uh, oh, she brought kids into that she relationship. Does, yeah. Okay, um, somewhat, but like, I I met them a few times, and they were just like little little shits. Um, they're I don't know necessarily what their situation with their dad is like, but I don't think they're parented very much at all. And then oh. Mike does not parent them at all. Oh, okay. He pretty much leaves that straight to Susan. Oh, okay. okay. But I mean, I don't really know how that relationship's going to work out for the, those two kids. Yeah. So, so what about your life moving forward, Patrick? Um, do you feel like you've sort of healed a lot of what it is that created those, that depression and suicidal feelings? Very much so, yeah. So um, those are feelings that are not part of your life anymore? Not anymore, no. Um, I do still sort of deal with feelings of depression and sadness, but nothing that has to deal with what I went through. Oh, okay. Um, well, nobody gets a life without pain. Exactly. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, contrary to TikTok and Instagram these days. Right. Yeah. Where, and, and 500 self-help books. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, everyone's going to go through pain, 
I definitely feel like I have closed the chapter on, or closed the page on that chapter of pain, though. You have? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's pretty amazing, don't you think, for somebody who's 19 years old to get to that kind of Well, pain? I was sitting here having a little bit of envy, but yeah. that's not, it's not the right thing. It's not the right thing to have here. It's just, I, I, I'm sitting here and probably the listeners has listened for the last hour, sitting here amazed, again, bringing up that he's 19 years old with this perspective. And, and granted, he, he was smart enough and, and, and was led to, to help, but, but again, yeah, you didn't have Dana in your life when you were 18. Yeah, I didn't have Dana in my life when I was 18. But, uh, you know, again, you know, there are some godsends in, in life. And, and for whatever reason, you were led down that right path toward figuring it out, what you were experiencing, what you were feeling in there. Um, but but again, you're a very bright young man. To, well, thank you. To be able to to really conceptualize it because I think that's, that's the hard part, right? Mm-hmm. You can sit here and get that expertise and, and, and understand, you know, you can kind of understand it and go, okay, that makes sense to me, but really to conceptualize it mm-hmm. and to be where you are. Um, and, and this is all recent stuff. Um, people spend a lifetime yeah, getting there. And, and again, to rehash a point that we bring up on the show a lot is that, there is no finish line. And there isn't, it, no. No, that, that the healing process is a journey. Mm-hmm. But, man, you are in that race way down the road already. In yeah. There. So continue doing what you're doing. Um, and, man, there's great things ahead for you. Open so. Well, we just got a new uh, psychological term that's invented. It's called Patrick Envy. Yeah, Patrick Envy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know it sounded bad. I was I was sitting there thinking in my head, should I even say that or not? Because it kind of digresses, digresses from what you know we we're saying. But right. I was feeling like, God, I wish I was I nineteen you, again, and I was where he was. I think you got to copyright that term. Yeah, Patrick Envy. You got Patrick now. Envy. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give Patrick full credit for that. <laughs> um, Patrick, anything else uh, before? Uh, and again, we want to thank you for being here and being vulnerable and, and transparent and, and talking thank about you for your experience me on. because it's. It's not, it's not, it's not easy, you know, to, to talk about, you know, the, the experiences that you've had in life and, and, uh, and, you know, some of it, uh, you know, was was heartbreaking to hear. Yeah. Um, it's definitely been a hard thing to go through, but if I can talk about it and help other people that are going through what I went through, I know that stuff's hard. So I'm sure, I'm sure you will. And I'm sure you're that, uh, again, you'll have great things out of you. I hope so. Thanks for being here. Thank thank you you for having me on. We really appreciate it. We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions. Feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.